Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With the completion of the NFC West, we are headed into the home stretch. As we now dive into the teams we practically know better than we know ourselves in the North, starting with our biggest rival, the Green Bay Packers. Can a healthy Rodgers fix it all, or is there more work to be done? Evan Weston from Acme Packing Company joins us on this NFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Finally, we have arrived. We are in the home stretch. As I said a moment ago in the open, we are talking with our friends from the NFC North as we inch ever so much closer. Today being July 2nd, we are 14 days away from rookies reporting for 14, 16, 7, whatever it is, 14 days away from rookies coming in, uh, 16, 17 days from training camp officially beginning on the 19th for our beloved Chicago Bears. I mean, it's, it's almost here. It's almost here, so it's it's been pretty great, pretty hectic uh, time uh, for me personally, uh, trying to get all of these uh, interviews uh, done because I'm moving uh, next weekend. I'll be leaving the Quad Cities and moving to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, much closer to uh, my job uh, in Iowa City. It's a uh, just a just a shade over an hour commute uh, for me right now. Moving out there, we'll, we'll cut it down to 25 to 30 minutes. Which will shave me a lot of time and a lot of gas money as well. That will be fantastic. So trying to get all of these interviews squeezed in a before training camp, which is a week earlier, a because we have a new coach and B because we have an extra preseason game this year with the Hall of Fame game on August the 3rd and, and trying to get all of this done against the uh, the clock of, of moving uh, next Saturday uh, as well. So a uh, pretty hectic time uh, for me, but nonetheless, uh, we get started with our, like I said, our home stretch, kicking things off with the Packers in the NFC North, getting things previewed uh, there. So um, not a whole lot to talk about uh, as far as our news and notes section. I uh, heard a really great uh, interview with uh, uh, Thomas Jones or Thomas Q. Jones, as he's referred to now. That's probably his, the name that he had to put on his SAG card uh, now that he's uh, he's been acting and such. He's got a big part. Uh, as Comanche in the uh, Luke Cage series on on Netflix. Um, Haven't had a chance to dive into that one uh, just yet, but I like season one, so I'm definitely going to check out season two. He made a couple of appearances uh, in an episode or two in season one, but apparently he's got like a seven-episode arc uh, this time around, and he was talking about how he transitioned from football into acting, and and one of what one of his first gigs was like. You gotta listen. It's I heard it in a podcast. It's hour number three of I think last Friday's show of for the Rich Eisen uh, show. Uh, Thomas Jones uh, tells a story about uh, 
<laughs> not knowing that he was going to be in a love scene with Gabrielle Union for her show on BET at Being Mary Jane or something like that. And uh, they're basically giving him the sock to wear uh, in the love scene. So basically he, he will, he'll appear to be naked, but his junk is covered up. And uh, he had a really funny story uh, about that. And uh, apparently... Thomas Jones and Erlacher and Crutes and, and, and company apparently start like this little texting uh, chain every year around the Super Bowl, wondering how it is Super Bowl 41 uh, got away from them. So that one still stings all these years later uh, for those guys. So much to the point that Jones says he's never watched the Super Bowl. And any time that the Super Bowl is on, just the game itself. Uh, he pretty much goes out of his way uh, to avoid it. So it's it still stings losing that one in 06 to, uh, to the Colts uh, and company. So other than that, there's really not a whole lot uh, going around in, in Bearland uh, right now. And like it, it's that quiet part of the season where there's little to nothing uh, going on. Everybody's gearing up for training camp. Everybody's getting rested and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the activity is low. Unless you're a basketball fan, then you're going crazy over free agency. And uh, the one thing I can't stand about the NBA after they signed that new TV deal was that the salary cap went through the roof. So you got guys who I've and I'm not a basketball fan, so maybe it's just that ignorance that's going with it. But there are guys that I've never heard of making 30 plus million dollars a year now because that's what the salary cap uh, will allow. So, I mean, it's just bananas, the money that they're throwing around uh, in the NBA uh, these days and uh, you know just not really sure and, and of course I'm one of you know the few people on the planet who could give a flying you know what that LeBron has signed with the Lakers great that's that's fantastic he's going to keep playing basketball and instead of winning the you know at least there will be a different team coming out of the east this year that's for sure um, but uh, so now LeBron gets to choke in the Western Conference playoffs instead of doing it in the NBA finals so good for him so anyway that's all i'm going to talk about there uh evan western our good friend from the acme packing company glad to have him back uh on the show and uh you know we'll be talking to him again pretty shortly here um playing him week one against green bay we touch upon that uh, on that game and the week one thing and and how it kind of mirrors the whole uh brett Favre jersey retirement night thing and and how i thought we didn't have a chance in hell of winning that game when the game was announced but you know, it's kind of got that air to it that maybe the Packers think they're setting themselves up for this, you know, historic kickoff to their 100th season of football. And uh, maybe they're running into a buzzsaw that week one against the, the Bears with the second year quarterback, the new coach, a ton of offensive weapons and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, going to step aside, bring in our good friend Evan Weston from Acme Packing Company to help us preview the 2018 Green Bay Packers. And here we are with the devil that we do know, or at least, as I said in the show intro, someone that we practically know better than we know ourselves and our brethren from the NFC North and here to to help us get things kicked off in a very uncharacteristic spot in my journey from worst to first in the division, the only team that was... You know, the, the Bears were the only team worse than the Packers in the division. I can't believe I'm saying this, but here to help us trek through what was 2017 and beyond uh, for Green Bay is our good friend Evan Western from Acme Packing Company. Evan, what's going on, my friend? 
Hey, a couple weeks to go till camp. You know, we got uh, spring workouts behind us. It's, you know, we're we're all hoping for uh, a very different start to the Brian Gutekunst era than the way that it, it ended in uh, Ted Thompson's regime. Is that how you pronounce that? Gutekunst. Gutekunst. Yep. Okay, yeah. Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue or anything <laughs> like that for somebody yeah. that's in high profile position uh, in one of the, you know, top franchises in football. Gutekunst. Yep. You okay. just call him Goody. Okay, Goody let's let's too. do that because we got uh, we drafted a guy in the uh, fourth round this year, a linebacker. Uh, his name is pronounced E A Booneyway. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a G in there somewhere, so they're going with Iggy. Is is going to be his? Uh, there you go. His- there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. His nickname. So we're just going to be like, yeah, enough non- with that nonsense. We're going to go with Iggy. Uh, so that's gonna what we're gonna call you. So uh, yeah, so let's go with would you say Goody? Goody, Goody, it is. All right, all right. So Goody comes in, but um, 2017, uh, the first five weeks of the season look like typical uh, Green Bay. You get off to a hot start. Uh, you lose. Uh, you you win your opener against Seattle. You uh, you drop the 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 on the road at Atlanta, and then three straight wins over Cincinnati, Chicago, and I have bit. I have a bittersweet feeling about that Chicago loss because it was basically the nail in Mike Glennon's coffin um, <laughs> as far as uh, you know having to deal with him as our starting quarterback so in a way I'm I'm grateful and in the end it was another bashing of of the Bears on national television so there's the there's the bitter and then you get a win over the Cowboys before week six you're sitting there you're four and one Aaron Rodgers is a monster. He's on pace to be another have another MVP season. And then the Viking game happens. He breaks the collarbone and it things like everything just kind of goes sideways on Green Bay from there. Yeah, I mean that's it, it really was a tale of two seasons, right? You know, you yeah. had the like you said, those first five games and that, that Cowboys win, man, that's one of those I mean, it felt very much like the playoff win in Dallas a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they came back in that game that, that Rodgers led him back with, you know, less than two minutes left and, and driving down and, and scoring the win and touchdown. Um, you know, it was it, it was one of those those great comeback wins that, that we've seen, um, you know, out of him the last couple of years. And then, yeah, now then, then Anthony Barr comes along and and basically shoots the season all to hell. And <laughs> we're we're well. And, and the funny thing is, is is after that game in, in Minnesota, you know, Rogers breaks his collarbone and Hundley's coming in, and there was 
a fair amount of optimism in Green Bay that, well, you know, this is Hundley's third year in the system. Um, hopefully he can come in here and at least, you know, carry the water for, you know, for seven or eight weeks until, you know, maybe Rodgers can come back kind of like we did in 2013 mm-hmm. uh, when, when he came back late in the season and, and managed to, to get the Packers to a playoff berth. And it became pretty clear over those first couple games that, that Hundley just was not up to the challenge. And, and that, I think, I mean, that's the biggest thing that, uh, that sunk the season was, um, well, beyond the, the struggles of the defense, which I'm sure we can get into. But, yeah, I mean, Hundley just never really looked comfortable. It seemed like at certain times McCarthy was um, either unwilling or too slow to adjust to Hundley's strengths. And, uh, yeah, that really kind of doomed the year from there. Yeah, and um, Brent Huntley, um, I mean, there was a little air of optimism as far as him being there. He's a, you know, uh, he'd been in the system for three years, a la, uh, like Aaron Rodgers was, just waiting in the wings, um, yep. you know, when Brett Favre was playing. Um, you know, uh, McCarthy was adamant that this was his guy. We don't need to go out and sign Colin Kaepernick or, or make a trade for somebody just before the deadline or anything like that to bring to bring it in it's like um you know we're kind of thinking that maybe this is the second coming of matt flynn as as being that 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 awesome backup quarterback or this the guy that's almost not gonna skip a beat here and um aside from uh that game in chicago um which um i went bananas after that game evan i lost (laughs) my mind after that game i really did i went on a 45 minute profanity lace tirade on my show i had to put the explicit tag on the show and everything after that uh green bay game because i just could not believe what i was seeing we made brent hundley look like aaron Rodgers that week and you know we, we couldn't stop what the guy was doing and all of a sudden we couldn't do anything on offense aside from like a big touchdown pass to josh bellamy it was pretty much an all green bay afternoon in a, in a section of the schedule that was really shaping up for the bears to be able to make a move because of that that was the first game of the second half for us we never got off the ground after that game and unfortunately for you everything that i said about that game proved to be right when i said you watch next week like we couldn't stop the guy he was freaking superman out there next week he's going to lay the biggest turd in the world to make the bears look even worse this week and sure enough he comes out at home against the Ravens and puts up a goose egg, twenty-three to nothing in a loss there. And then, the, like, like the shine was off the Brent Huntley apple. Yeah, and what what made that that much more painful for, for me was that that was the first Packers game I'd been to in a couple of years. Was oh, that Ravens God. game? Wow. Um, and yeah, my my brother and I went to that game that weekend. And uh, let's just say it's a good thing that Wisconsin beat Michigan on Saturday, and we <laughs> so we at least got to see one good win that weekend. Sure, but, sure. Um, but yeah, no, that that was as a team game one of the most. Uh, the ugliest displays of football I think I've ever seen. Hmm. Certainly the ugliest I think I've seen in person. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now again, there were, you know, the Packers turned the ball over five times in that game. Um, you know, Hundley throws a couple of just horrendous interceptions. Um, and, and yeah, at that point, you know, but by, by the end of that game, I mean, all expectations are off and, and you've got fans clamoring to, to tank the rest of the year, even though the Packers are sitting at five and five. Right. Um, and it, it was, 
yeah, that was that was brutal. And and the 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 funny part was the next couple games there was there was some some reasons for optimism again. I mean, Hundley looked a lot better the following week at Pittsburgh. Um, the running game got going the next week in Tampa in an overtime win, and then uh, Hundley had a couple of moments in that Cleveland game. Um, but it, it was it was actually fascinating for Hundley just to see how he was just awful, just horrendous throwing the football at home at Lambeau but away from Lambeau he was actually quite a bit better and he threw um he threw the ball pretty well again that Pittsburgh game that Cleveland game um he had some good throws in those contests and and the Chicago game but uh yeah for whatever reason Hundley at Lambeau just he just didn't have it he didn't have the the mojo and and he was just awful in those home games yeah I mean I was I was super excited about that that Packer game going into it you guys came off a really bad looking loss on Monday Night Football at home against Detroit. I mean, only like the second time since Reagan was president that the Lions beat the Packers in Lambeau, and then they come into Soldier Field. Like I said, it was it, we, it was set up on a silver platter for the Bears to run away with that game, and, and it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen, and we looked awful uh, against you guys. And then, you know, Huntley comes out and, and you know, on the road, as you said, uh, you know, got the job done. He looked great and led the, the late comeback and – uh, and everything else, and then after that, the, uh, the the Ravens game, which unfortunately you were in attendance for, and then you you know you 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 eke out a loss against uh, the 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 Steelers, and then two overtime wins back to back over Tampa Bay and Bad Cleveland. Teams. Yeah, not <laughs> impressive wins against very unimpressive teams, or, or in Tampa Bay's case, a very disappointing team. And um, so then Roger finally comes back week fifteen, and. You know, where were you sitting at that point? Five and six and what was it? Six and seven, seven and seven, five. No, right? seven, seven and six coming seven into that six. game. Yeah, okay. against Carolina. So it's you know, not you get those. Yeah, it's not out of out of reach at this point at all. Uh-huh. And um, you know, granted, you got Carolina and Minnesota, two playoff teams, and then you're at Detroit, where win or lose, it's always a tough game. So not the easiest road to hoe, but definitely a winnable one for Green Bay. And it all falls apart pretty much right away against Carolina. Yeah, and and that game, there there were a couple of throws where Rodgers just definitely didn't look like himself. Um, some a couple of kind of questionable decisions, and and throws where his arm just kind of seemed to come up short a little bit. Hmm. And I do wonder if that was related to the collarbone injury. Um, you know, his his ball just didn't quite seem to have the kind of zip on it that, that it normally does in that game, and it, it was not surprising to me in the least to to see them shut him down against uh, again after that once um you know once that game was a loss and, and the playoffs were um you know were pretty much a, a, a impossibility at that point. Um, I mean, and that's really the only reason they brought him back, right? Is is yeah. you're sitting at seven and six, you got a chance if you win out, you're 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 sitting at ten and six, you're almost certainly in the playoffs at that point. Um, and and obviously, as we saw in 2010, you know, you get in and anything can happen. But um, the, the one of the interesting takeaways that I take away from all this is, you know, a if Rodgers doesn't break his collarbone, um, b if he comes back and maybe wins that game and and you know wins maybe one of those last two and they get to let's say nine and seven maybe just miss the playoffs in those situations does dom capers get fired does ted thompson decide to step away and and give over the reins of the gm job i don't know but um i think you can make the case that 
in the long run, this might have been something that needed to happen for the Packers to to finally convince McCarthy to move on from Capers, shake up his coaching staff a little bit on offense, hopefully shake the playbook up a little bit, um, you know. And and now that we have that the changeover in the the front office, you get some changes in player acquisition uh, approach there as well. So this may end up being something that the Packers needed um, after kind of teetering on the the edge of wild card you know, division winner, you know, going one or two rounds in the playoffs and getting bounced for the last five or six years. Right. I mean, in, in the, it's uh, it, it definitely like this section of the conversation was usually the shortest one. And it's the whole free agency off season uh, portion yep. where, Hey, you signed one guy, nobody's ever heard of. And that was the one free agent <laughs> acquisition that you made, or this was the one off season you signed Julius peppers, but did nothing else. And then had 11 draft picks and four third, fifth rounders and, uh, and so on and so forth. But the, you know, you bring, uh, or you, he was already on Joe Philbin was already on the staff, right? Was he just promoted to offensive coordinator? No, he, uh, he was in, Indianapolis. He was okay. a uh, he was an offensive assistant in Indy. So bringing him back, um, he had been the offensive coordinator up until the 2011 season right. when Rodgers won his MVP, and then yeah, going down to to, to Miami for a couple of years. But yeah, he was in uh, he was in Indy the last couple of years as right. a okay. um, kind of a glorified offensive assistant. So him coming back, he's already got a relationship with Rodgers. Um, I'm excited to see what he and McCarthy can do together because they've talked about literally tearing the playbook down to, to, to page one and starting over this entire offseason. So I'm I'm hopeful that that's, uh, that that's going to lead to some, some more positive results because we have seen McCarthy maybe get a little bit stagnant in his play calling and his use of different formations over the past couple of years. So uh, fingers crossed that that will lead to some different results this year. And then uh, Dom Capers, who's been on the, the staff for God knows, how long was he defensive coordinator for you guys? I believe it was nine years. Nine I think years. he was the longest, okay. the longest ten, tenured defensive coordinator, I think, in the league at that point. Mm. So he's gone. Bring in Mike Pettin, who's not a household name necessarily, but definitely a guy who's got a really great reputation, and his defense is always finishing the top ten uh, of yep. uh, you know of total defenses year in and year out. Even in places like Buffalo and Cleveland, he's putting good defenses on the field. He's he's got a very distinct tone shift from Capers to to Patton. Um, he's the the really intense kind of in your your face type of coach. Um, you know he's not going to be afraid to to really get in a guy's face and, and challenge him on something. Um, but at the same time, the the players have been raving about how accessible he is in the film room, um, how much he loves to teach, and and how. You know he's really a student of his own scheme, and and he really likes to to take feedback from players and his assistant coaches as well. So I expect the the defense to be a lot more multiple than it had been um, under Capers. I think you'll see you know more different personnel groupings. You'll probably see more. Uh, sticking to the the press man coverage that the Packers used to like to play um, until Capers kind of got away from it the last couple of years with with all their young corners, but um, yeah, this is going to be a press man team. It's going to be predicated on getting a lot of pressure from the defensive line from the interior um, and and kind of supplementing that with you know with a little bit of edge rush as opposed to the uh, the traditional way you tend to think about pass rush in a three four defense where you really focus on your edge rushers and then work your way inside. So what was the the main weakness for the defense this time around because at, when I'm looking at the at the scores in 2017 I'm seeing a lot of uncharacteristic you know there were what four 30 plus games just in the second half of the year yep. that the defense gave up two of them to the Lions uh somehow uh 30 points in the first one 35 
in the season finale. Gave up 31 to Carolina, 31 to to Pittsburgh, and in the you know in the 20s a couple of other times uh, as well. So what was going on uh, with the defense having trouble keeping people out of the end zone this past season? Well, once again, the the Packers had a lot of issues with injuries at the cornerback position. Um, that that was a big uh, big problem, you know, throughout the whole year. Um, really, the team hasn't recovered or, or figured out a solution since Sam Shields went out with a concussion in 2016, and and they just haven't been able to really replace him since. Uh, Demarius Randall had you know some issues in the the beginning of the season that led to his benching in that Thursday game against Chicago Hmm. Um, he bounced back pretty well over the second half of the season but you know Devon House didn't really live up to the um, the return that was kind of expected of him coming back to Green Bay Um, they didn't have a whole lot of depth behind those guys and the guys that they did have for depth ended up getting hurt so honestly uh, Morgan Burnett who plays more of the strong safety role he played probably half the season at slot cornerback just because they needed somebody so badly um, at that position so you know you've got that issue you've got uh, Clay Matthews is starting to you know slow down a little bit um, Nick Perry had a little bit of injury issues here and there so your your pass rush wasn't as reliable as it has been in the past and, and the Packers just haven't really found that uh, second tier you know kind of core backup guy at that outside linebacker position to provide some extra pass rush behind those two so if, if one of those guys goes down you know that that really kind of shoots your your outside pass rush um you know pretty strongly so and, and they're not they're not forcing turnovers the way that they needed to when capers defenses were really good mm-hmm. and i think that's more a function of offenses around the nfl evolving um to avoid or, or to to um to minimize the kind of success that a, a capers type of defense can have because because those the 2000 2009 or yeah, the 09, the the 2010, the 2011 defenses when they were at their best, you know, they were they were getting turnovers. Um the Packers had I think 30 interceptions one of those years, um which is just completely unheard of in in today's NFL. Right. Um you know, offenses and, and quarterbacks are really geared towards the safe throws to to not really challenging um you know, putting the football in um low percentage areas or or, or really dangerous areas and I think um that's a response to the success that uh, uh, the type of defense the keepers run that was, you know, really ball hawking, pressure the quarterback and and force those turnovers um, was predicated on. And I think uh, Petten gets that. And I think it's it's going to be a very different performance this year out of this defense. Yeah, it's supposed to be a much more aggressive style uh, of defense. And Petten's really looking for the for you guys to really get after it this year. Yeah. So we go into free agency, and as I stated a moment ago, this is usually the shortest part of the conversation because you guys do next to nothing uh, in, in, in free air, or at least during the Ted Thompson era, because all about building and sustaining uh, through the draft. I think one of the first times I talked to you was, um, was about a, a comment that Ryan Pace had made, uh, our general manager, in a, in a press conference saying that uh, you know the Packers right now have 47 men on their roster and 46 of them have been Packers their entire career and the one guy that didn't was Julius Peppers so it's just like that's the kind of culture that he's trying to build in Chicago but the last or at least this past offseason we're definitely bringing in more outside guys in the form of like a Jimmy Graham or Mohamed Wilkerson Tremont Williams was a Packer at one point wasn't he yep 
Okay, yeah. so now he's back again, and then adding like Mercedes Lewis and, and company, and then bringing in a Deshaun Kaiser uh, in a trade where you where you where Demarius Randall, who you mentioned before, uh, gets shipped off to uh, to Cleveland. So going in and bringing in some of those outside guys as opposed to trust just building that foundation and sustaining it from there. Yeah, it, it really speaks to. Goody's different approach to to building the roster and it was one of the things that he really spoke to in his first couple of press conferences was um, you know because Thompson had been you know both lauded and criticized for for his approach for you know the the draft and develop approach that he he took to you know all these years the the one of the big questions early on was what what sort of GM are you going to be? And he made it very clear that I'm going to pursue every avenue of player acquisition that's available. Um, and and he made it clear, like, that doesn't mean we're going to sign a whole bunch of guys all the time, but, you know, we're certainly, we want to be in, in every conversation and, and make it clear to um, to agents and to players that, you know, we're, we're, we're still worth considering because we're actually going to, um, you know, going to sign some of these players once in a while. So, you know, the, the Graham signing was real interesting because that came right on the heels of releasing Jordy Nelson, which mm-hmm. obviously that was not a particularly uh, popular move around Green Bay. I mean, Jordy's, you know, he's been one of the fan favorites and in, in the community guys for, for years now. And so to see him um, have kind of such an unceremonious exit is, is disappointing. But at the same time, he's never been the same since he tore his ACL a couple of years ago. And I mm-hmm. thought that, uh, with having one year left on his deal with a cap hit of over $11 million, I thought that had to happen. And, and I'm not surprised to see that it did. So essentially you take the cap hit that, uh, that Nelson had for, for this year and you sign Jimmy Graham and Muhammad Wilkerson for, for the, basically the same cap hit in 2018. Um, you're getting a better bang for your buck there. Sure. The the Grams the Graham signing is going to be interesting because I'm I'm really hopeful that the Seahawks offensive coaching staff just had no idea what to do with him. And reports that I've seen both out of Seattle and and out of Green Bay indicate that that's probably what was going on because he really didn't didn't play particularly well the last two years. And that um, was basically verified by the Seahawks guy that I talked to uh, a week or so ago. Where it was mm-hmm. like, you know, it didn't really seem like they knew what to do. Well, I mean, he basically used those exact words when talking about Jimmy Graham. It's like he scored 10 touchdowns and somehow was a non factor in the season uh, for Seattle yep. last year. Yeah, so you bring in him, bring in Graham, and honestly, I think Mercedes Lewis signing, that's one of the most underrated things that Gutekunst did this year, is um, that gives you a true inline blocking type of tight end. You know, he can give you a couple of catches over the middle of the field. Um, but what that allows the Packers to do is a lineup in a lot of, you know, one running back, two tight end, two wide receiver formations. You split out Graham wide and either in the slot or, or as a wide receiver. Um, and that that causes a whole lot of matchup issues, I think, for for defenses. So I, it wasn't a signing that got a ton of um, a ton of headlines. But the timing of it, it happened in kind of the middle of May when when yeah. basically Ted Thompson had had completely checked out from player acquisition and was already looking at next year's film for next year's draft. Um, but but it's it, that's the kind of signing that I think you can see from from Gutekunst that can have an impact that you wouldn't have seen from a Ted Thompson. Um, so so I think that's going to play play out well. I think Wilkerson, um, that's a great one-year signing you get a motivated guy he's reunited with Petten, who is his coordinator with the jets um so certainly they they know each other well and Petten knows what, how to get the most out of wilkerson so i think that's going to be a great move um 
And and then you mentioned the trade for Kaiser. Um, I think that gives the Packers some insurance if they decide that you know Hundley's just not the guy. They really liked Kaiser coming out last year in the draft anyway, and there was actually some talk that they might have uh, been considering him in the second round if he had fallen to them. So it wasn't a surprise to see them make a run at him. Um, and it wasn't a surprise necessarily to see Randall traded away either because there was um, there was a whole bunch of rumors about him last year as well and, and the, the issues that he had with the coaching staff last season. So, yeah, it's like you said, very different offseason for us. Um, and, and that kind of comes along with the territory when you have a new GM who, you know, maybe he wants to make his mark a little bit in his first offseason with the team. Yeah, definitely um, making some uh... – making some bigger bigger moves. Uh, I mean, there was usually kind of maybe one or two acquisitions that the Packers uh, would make, like last year, the big one being a Martellus Bennett signing, which everyone thought was a genius move at the time. Turned out to be a disaster. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that were the, you know, or signing a Julius Peppers. There was always kind of like a one headline move, and then maybe you signed a backup long snapper or something like that. <laughs> and that was pretty much the off season in a nutshell for for Green Bay. But like you said, um, do you think that this is more of a like a realistic approach for a GM to take? Because you guys have hit so many times on, you know, going into the draft, having uh, you know, somehow acquiring 11 or 12 picks, multiple fourth and fifth rounders and, and things like that. And you keep finding a Devonte Adams or, uh, you know, Randall Cobb or something like that later on in those rounds that become huge impact players pretty much right off the bat. Like how many times can you keep doing that? How many times can you keep hitting on these guys and not, you know, sign a veteran or something like that? that's going to help at the very least, maybe they can be the insurance that one of these draft picks doesn't pan out. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, again, Gutekunst is, is really trying to approach it from I want to take whatever methods I can to, to improve this team. And whatever that looks like, um, you know, it, it's just clear that he's not afraid to throw some resources out there, throw some money out there um, and, and again, approach it a little differently. And and yeah, I mean, some of the some of the players have said this. Mike, Mike McCarthy has reportedly been a little um upset with the fact that that ted thompson never went out and signed any veterans um and and you've seen it with some of the recent super bowl winning teams that they've made some some clever signings and acquisitions of veteran players that have that have become leaders on the team or at least significant role players i mean heck look at the eagles this year i mean they traded for jay ajayi in what like week six or week seven something like that something like um you know some of these kind of acquisitions that that's um that Thompson really never would have considered um you know I think it's 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 something that uh basically I think everybody in Green Bay is excited about um and you know fingers crossed that you know we have success with both the the big name signings like a Jimmy Graham as well as some of the the lower tier guys like like Mercedes Lewis for example sure so let's get to draft night because that was a very unpacker like night especially on on night one number one you're picking um earlier than usual as far as green bay packers are concerned usually you're in the 20s and beyond because you were a playoff team this year you start with the 14th uh overall pick um and just when you know just when you thought the packers you know were going to go ahead and 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 there's some players to be taken there at 14 
uh, they they pull off a very unted Thompson like move by by making a trade uh, with the New Orleans Saints for them to jump all the way up from twenty seven to fourteen. You acquire their number one for next year, and they go ahead and for. The ceiling on the guy is unbelievable, but they paid quarterback prices for a non-quarterback, which is bananas, in my opinion. Uh, The Packers, the huge beneficiary of that move, and then again went from 27 to 18 to make your pick in uh, Jair Alexander uh, out of Louisville. So what was going through your mind in that time frame where you drop from 14 to 27, then jump up to 18 and get the corner from Louisville? Yeah, I I actually think that if Thompson had been offered the same trade offer from the Saints, he would have taken it. Um, it's it's one of those things where I think Gutekunst was presented with a, a a deal that was too good to pass up in terms of getting that extra first round pick next year. Um, and and the way that the Packers later rounds set up so that they had um, I think they had a. I think was was it? I think it was three fourth round picks and three fifth round picks, or something like that. With with the way the compensatory picks worked out, um, including the first pick in each of those two rounds as a result of that that trade with Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So what they had with that is they had the ability to, let's say, trade away their third rounder and move back up in the first round of of the draft. So you know, getting getting back up from twenty seven to you know, someplace in the, you know, maybe in the late teens or the early 20s. Um, and then they could get that third round pick back by by getting rid of a couple of those early third day picks, the, the fourth and fifth rounders. So honestly, when, when, when they dropped down, I was fully expecting them to make a move back up in the first round because of the way the rest of their draft picks shook out. Um, I, I didn't think that Jair Alexander was going to be the target. And that was, I think... The, the selection of Alexander was the thing that surprised me more than anything else because he's a little bit shorter than the, the traditional threshold that the Packers have used for cornerbacks. They're actually very well documented that they don't like drafting any corners who are shorter than five foot ten and a half. And um, that comes all the way back from, from Ron Wolf's days in the in the 90s, hmm. um, famously from from Terrell Buckley when he drafted him, as, as he supposedly said after that, that you know, after Buckley kind of flamed out in Green Bay, that he, he said, I'll never draft a corner shorter than 5'11 again. Um, and, and Alexander comes in at 5'10 and a quarter. And so basically he was off of most of our draft boards just because of his height. And so that was that was a surprise. But the more you read up on him, and the more tape you watch of him, the more it makes sense that that he could come in as as a press man corner. He's got that competitiveness, that edge, and and I think he could end up fitting in really well in Green Bay in Mike Pettin's defense and and with the type of scheme that the Packers like to run. And then uh, in the second round, uh, I think what for the second year in a row, you double down on defensive backs with your top two picks. Yep. And uh, you get Josh Jackson at 45 when this was a guy that was, uh, you know, uh, being rumored to go somewhere in the late and early uh, first round. Yeah, that was that was exciting just because of the value that you get in that player at that point. Um, I can't tell you how many mock drafts I saw that had the Packers picking him at 14. And, you know, I I like the guy. I think, um, you know, with with a year or two, he's going to be a good corner in the NFL. But I thought mid first round was just way too high for him. Um, You know, he's kind of a one year wonder coming out of Iowa and he really only ever played zone coverage. So you had a lot of questions there with how is he going to fit into Green Bay and does he really make sense? 
But you get a guy like him with the ball skills that he has in the middle of the second round, and that's a completely different story. I mean, I think I think the value that they got with him at that point was was just terrific. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, and Alexander hopefully for a couple years to come. I mean, they definitely play different styles, but at the same time, there's there's a competitiveness there. They both play a fairly physical game and and again there's ball skills on both of these players so um you can see both of them getting some significant playing time early on and and hopefully making an impact early all right so we, we go into the into the later rounds and third round you got a an outside linebacker Oren burks from vanderbilt um no idea who that guy is but i'm sure we'll learn who he is <laughs> very shortly um but uh, you know you had your fourth round pick you got a wide receiver out of missouri jamon moore Three fifth rounders, including a punter, J.K. Scott. Was punter a, a position of, of need for you guys? Because you drafted one. That's usually, you know, when a, when a team drafts a punter, it was an issue the year before, or they didn't want to pay the guy that they had, kind of thing. No, absolutely not. Actually, um, <laughs> that that pick floored everybody because Justin Vogel, our punter from last year, he was. Uh, an undrafted free agent out of Miami, and he actually set the single season net punting record in Green Bay. So, <laughs> so nobody, nobody expected that. Um, I, I think that was another one where, for whatever reason, Goody thought that the value of that player at that spot was just right. And um, Scott's an interesting guy because, yeah, he played at Alabama, but his family actually has a lake house up in Hayward, Wisconsin. So he's actually grown up a Packers fan hmm. and uh, is, is steeped in Wisconsin culture. So there's kind of a fun connection there. But, yeah, that that was a, a big shock. Um, almost as much – I mean, probably even more so the, a shock than the fact that the Packers waited as long as they did to take a receiver. I think everybody was expecting one at some point on the first three rounds of the draft. And um, – and honestly, I mean, you get it. You get into some of those picks with the Jamon Moore pick. Um, even with you know basically every pick down the line from there, I was thinking that Equinemius St. St. Brown, the Notre Dame guy, was going to be the pick at those spots because I thought he, you know, he's he's a big, fast guy. He had some good production at Notre Dame with Deshaun Kaiser, who's now a, a Packer. And um, I, I just thought that uh, you know, as far as the way that the receiver class shook out, that. Um, that he was the best guy left on the board at that point. And then to find him in the sixth round was another just, you know, it, it was one of those head scratchers that makes me think, how the hell did he last this long? Um, yeah. But but it makes me excited. I mean, all three of these receivers, they're six foot three or taller. Every one of them can run. Um, I think I think St. Brown, I, I think they all ran under four five in the 40. Um, and and they so so these guys can move. They've got some some length. It's going to be fun to see uh, the competition this year in training camp between those three players. And um, the other thing is, um, you know, you were asking like, how the hell did this guy last so long? There were a lot of questions like that uh, in this year's draft, and I think it had a lot to do with like when I spoke to my draft guy, he mentioned even before the draft that it's it's uh it's a deep draft this year in a couple of positions. I know that it's, you know, aside from like Bradley Chubb and maybe like a Harold Landry, it's not very deep at pass rusher this year, but you have the quarterback class and uh we're deep in in, in defensive backs this year and so on and so forth. And uh you know, the quarterbacks being there, that's going to push everybody else down uh yep. as far as pushing them down like to where we can see guys with first round grades going in the 
in the in the mid in the fifties uh, in the second round, which is where you got a guy like uh, a Josh Jackson, which is we got an Iowa guy in the second round, James Daniel, who had a first round grade. He was yes. supposed to be going in the middle of the first round. We got him at thirty nine. So in the, you start seeing that, and it's going to push everybody else down uh, somehow, which is how a guy like uh, Saint Brown was there for you in, at two oh seven uh, in the in the sixth round. So I mean, we were seeing that all over the board there was a guy that uh the giants got lorenzo carter a defensive end yes. um there were oh. people that were you know mock drafts had lorenzo carter going at you know 39 to the bears in the second round i saw that happen a few times he goes in the third round like somewhere in the 80s or 90s uh to to the giants i mean it, that's what we're seeing that stuff all over uh the board and it somehow even managed to work its way into the into the sixth round so you get a guy like uh, saint brown you know, in where is the the sixth towards the end of the sixth round, isn't it? Two oh seven. Yeah, I think that's that's in the the later part of that sixth round. Yeah. Yeah. So there you you grab him uh, when you probably had what maybe a, an early day three grade, like a number, like a fourth round grade on him. You get him in mid to late six. So I mean, you were seeing that happen you know, all over the board that some guys just kept falling uh, because everyone else above them was kind of pushing them down. And it was a domino effect, you know, starting with the quarterbacks having to, you know, how many spots did the quarterbacks take that would have been taken by somebody else in any other draft kind of thing. Right. And that yep. just ended up, you know, having that domino effect of pushing other people uh, down. And that's uh, pretty much what happened there with, uh, with St. Brown, I think. And, um, you guys uh, got adventurous with the names uh, this year. The 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 receiver <laughs> from South Florida, Marquez Valdez Scantling, and then mm-hmm. Equinemius uh, Saint Brown. Uh, you got a Kendall Donerson in there. You got uh, Oren Burt. These are not normal names, dude. What is going on <laughs> with the names on this uh, with the list here? It's fun, man. This is uh, the the lady who does the stitching of the nameplates on the Packers jerseys is going to have her work cut out for her this year. I'll say that. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I mean, he's Jair Alexander and Oren Burks, Jamon with an apostrophe in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff going on there. But anybody in this group, besides from uh, an equinemius that you got later on, uh, St. Brown, uh, who you you could think maybe being uh, a top guy that uh, kind of emerges in his in his first year. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of names that stand out to me. I mean, Jamon Moore is one of them. Um, he's he's incredibly quick, and and his uh, his lateral agility is is excellent. So if he can pick up some route running skills from Devonte Adams, who for my money is the best runner of in breaking routes in the NFL right now, um, if he can pick up on something from from Adams, um, I think he's got a chance to at least contribute right away and to be pretty darn good in, in his first couple of years. And the other guy is Cole Madison, the the guard that they took in the, the fifth round. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are drawing comparisons between him and Josh Sitton or, or TJ Lang, guys who played tackle in college and then moved inside to guard once they got to Green Bay. Um, I don't think you'll see him start this year. I think he'll at least be in the competition to start at that right guard spot. Um but I think you'll probably see him maybe, um, you know, maybe moving into the starting lineup next year. But I think he's got a chance to be another one of those really good mid-round finds for the Packers on the offensive line. You know, speaking of Josh Sitton, um, I bought one of those NFL preview magazines, and I believe he was drafted in 08, correct? That Something sounds like right, that. yeah. Um, yep. Because it was um, the one that I got. It, every year they do this, you know, 10 years, uh, 10 years removed from the draft type of thing so they were talking about the 2008 draft who was the best pick in this round and Josh Sitton went to South Florida 
I would have never guessed uh, that in a thousand. The whole C- Duck C- Dynasty C- look. Central Florida. Central Florida. Florida. Think, but, You're right. Yeah. Central Florida. But yep. I would have never guessed him being a Florida guy in a thousand <laughs> years. I mean, the I know he probably hasn't had the beard the whole single the whole time, but the whole <laughs> Duck Dynasty look that he's got going for him, I never would have pegged yep. him as a Central Florida guy uh, at all. So it doesn't really fit uh, for me. Uh, considering the places that he's played, Green Bay, Chicago. I mean, now he's in Miami, so I guess it's kind yep. of a full circle thing uh, for right. him. But he's definitely hasn't, up to this point, his career has been in places the complete opposite of Florida. So I was kind of interested to see that, uh, you know, him being drafted out of Central Florida. Like, that, that doesn't really compute with me. It's from Central Florida for Josh <laughs> uh, Sitton. But, um, you know... So there you are. It's it's the draft, uh, you know, and in some ways a typical draft where you, you come away with 11, 12 picks, uh, whatever it ended up uh, being, just loading up on, you know, opportunities. Basically, one of these guys is going to hit for us, and that's by, that's why you do that. That's why you go out and get three yep. fifth-round picks. If one of them works out, you're doing great. And if that happens uh, year in and year out, which it kind of has uh, for Green Bay, it's, uh, you know, it's been a good offseason or a good draft, and, uh, and so on. If those top guys can hit, and you can get, you know, one of those late round guys that will become become a beast for you at some point, then that's a really great uh, draft class. And um, you know, then also like you know the night one, you know, the double trade, you know, trading down and trading back up, you get an extra uh, first rounder for next year and uh, anything like that. I mean, it it was it was typical and atypical all at the same time for this year's draft class. For sure, and I think you're going to see Packers fans being big-time fans of anybody who plays the Saints this year because the worse the Saints do, the better that draft pick is for the Packers in 2019. Yeah, no so kidding. No it kidding. Was, uh, fingers crossed that they end up going about, I don't know, 4-12 and 12 or something this year. <laughs> see them uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically picking in the top 10 uh, next year. That would be a, a nightmare for them. That'd players. be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so we look at look ahead to the, the schedule uh, for this year, and... Let's talk about week one because it's yes, Bears Packers, <laughs> it's Sunday night football, and I've, I've got this weird feeling about this game. It was very similar to the one that I had when the, when the very first game of the uh. 2015 schedule was announced. Bears Packers, Thursday night football, Thanksgiving uh. night, Brett Favre jersey retirement night. My immediate thought was there is no way in hell the Bears are going to win that game. There is no way that that's going to happen. So here we are, week one, Sunday night football. Um, Bears-Packers kicking off the 100th season of Green Bay Packer football in Lambeau. And the Packers requested the Bears for this game. You know, it, it kind of has that same air to it where it's like this historical huge night. The Bears, you know, are coming into Lambeau. It's it's either going to be a perfect storm it's going to be a perfect storm for one team and a disaster for the other. I kind of feel because we got the Matt Nagy thing, the brand new offense, the first game of the true Trubisky era, all of our offensive weapons that we went and got last year that we did not have uh, last year. Fangio and the defense doing things and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I either think it's going to be an awesome night for, for us or an awesome night for you. Um, you know, but it's setting itself up like it could very well possibly be another disastrous night where maybe the Packers bit off a little more than they can chew requesting to have the Bears come in for this game. 
yeah, it's a it's an interesting move, and and you certainly you do it because of the the, the rivalry and the history, obviously. And and you mentioned the the hundred years of Packers football thing. I think that's a big thing that they're playing up this year. Um, they're going to be doing promotions and and all sorts of events and things all season long, and so it just kind of made sense to kick it off with you know the the oldest and best rivalry in in pro football. Sure. So. Um, but at the same time, I, I hear you. I mean, the 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 Bears' offense does give me some some concerns in a way that it hasn't in probably you know six or seven years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one one of the like Allen Robinson, for example. I mean, a lot of Packers fans were thinking that he could be a target of the Packers before they signed Jimmy Graham. Sure. Um, you know, now I'm I'm going to be real curious to see how how he's healed up after that ACL tear. Mm-hmm. Um, but then. You know, I, I want to see what Matt Nagy does with Tariq Cohen and if he kind of uses him more in the Ty- Tyreek Hill role uh, yeah. rather than kind of the, the you know, give him a couple carries here and there role that he had last year. So it, it's a yeah, I'm 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 going to stick with cautiously optimistic still to this point <laughs> on that one. Um, I'm I, I'm I'm hopeful again that that Petten's defense is going to come out guns blazing and everybody's going to be healthy. That Rodgers is going to come out pissed after last year and, and how everything went. Um, and and feeling like he's got another chip on his shoulder. Um, I, I will say this for Rodgers for this year: is remember the last time he broke his collarbone in 2013? What did he do next year? In 2014, he went up. He won the MVP exactly. Yeah. And I think if um, if the coaching staff does what they you know what they promised and they really retooled this offense around the weapons that they have, I think he has. I think Rodgers has the best group of running backs collectively the best diverse skill sets that he's had in in years at this point um guys who can block block in the backfield guys who can catch out of the backfield um you know guys who can line up all over the field um i I think this offense has a potential to be really special as long as all the receivers stay healthy and i'd love to see it start off with a big performance out of the offense in week one i'm really excited about this year for our division um, you know, if mm-hmm. the, the Bears and, and the moves that they made, the, the trajectory is pointing up for them. The Lions, they, they went out and got LeGarrette Blunt, so maybe this year is the year they finally discover a running game, and they hired Matt Patricia, so maybe they're going to finally straighten out how to be a balanced team uh, on defense uh, this year. Rodgers is back with Green Bay, which automatically brings you about three more wins than you got uh, a year ago. <laughs> And on paper, Minnesota is the team to beat. I mean, this deep, this, and that's the one thing that I think is going to keep the Bears from being the 2018 Rams is that we've got a juggernaut of a of a division to get through, whereas the Rams a year ago did not. The the the, the Seahawks yep. had an off season. Arizona was circling the drain. Uh, the 49ers started 0 and 10, you know, last year, uh, and everything else. So there wasn't the the hurdles that the Rams had to get through, that the Bears are going to have to navigate, getting through these six games against those teams uh, and everything. It's the, it's the one thing that's, that's keeping me from rubber stamping the Bears as being this year's uh, L.A. Rams. It, you know, it's, it, it's all going to come down to how we handle uh, the division schedule, and there's so much potential there for this to be the best division in football this year. Yeah, I, I, I'm shocked if at the end of this year the, the NFC North – doesn't have at least two playoff teams mm-hmm. and I could easily see um, them getting you know this division getting both wild card spots right um, it would not surprise me in the least if that happens so it's um, 
yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Cousins in, in Minnesota. Um, that, that whole situation obviously is, you know, is a big unknown. Um, I'm, I'm probably not as high on Cousins as, as a lot of people are just I'm not, in general. But, I'm not either. Um, so. But that, def- that defense is still great, and, and you get Dalvin Cook back, and, and the receivers that Minnesota still has are, are you know, that, that's still awesome. I think the certainly the weak link there is that offensive line in Minnesota. But, um, you know, I, I obviously I think the Packers will be right back in there. I think this defense is rejuvenated, um, and, and Rodgers is obviously always the X factor. So it's going to be fun to watch these divisional games, man. It's it's there's no gimmies anymore in in those six games by any means. Yeah, and like I said, that's that's what's so exciting uh, about this. And, and like you said, cautiously optimistic about that Week One game. I'm cautiously optimistic about all six games that we play against uh, our division foes. Uh, this year just because the Bears have improved themselves whether or not we can make that happen on the field is another question entirely but it's like looking at the schedule you can't count them out in any of those division games just because and but that's the same thing you can say now for for the Lions and you know for the for the Vikings when they come to town to play at at Lambeau and things like that it's it's going to be a really interesting division schedule uh, this year, and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how it's going to go down for everybody, not just the Bears. Yeah, and and the Packers schedule is interesting because I mean we get the Bears in you know early in the season, and then again in December, um, mm-hmm. kind of same thing with the Lions. Although I'm I'm glad we finally get the Lions at home in December instead of having to to play them in Ford Field again like we have in Week 17 the last couple of years mm. um, in in Detroit. But the middle part of this Packers schedule is just brutal. Um, you, you come out of the bye week and you've got road games at the Rams, at the Patriots, um, and then you got a home game against Miami. Then you're in Seattle for a Thursday night game. Now I know Seattle's, you know, looking like they're on the downslope, but for whatever reason, playing in Seattle's always been the Packers' Achilles' heel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got at Minnesota. Um, so that that five week stretch, I think, is is going to be really telling for this team. Um, if they can get through that with with three wins. Um, I think this that that says that this is a team that that can legitimately challenge for a Super Bowl title, um, and then obviously they have to to take care of business before that and then after that um, to to get to the playoff seating that they're going to need to get. So yeah, that middle of the season stretch is tough, and and that's going to define a lot about what this team can do. Yeah, a lot of questions are going to be answered uh, there, but you know the first two weeks of the season they're both home games but they're both both division games you got the bears coming in on sunday night football a week later you got the vikings coming in then you're at the redskins home for buffalo at the lions and then home for the 49ers on monday night football before the week seven bye is it is that a good bye week for you guys where where do you fall on, on the whole bye week philosophy thing yeah i'd always rather have it closer to the middle of the season yeah um I think last uh, I, I I forget now it's been you know it's been nine months and I can't remember when we had our bye week last year but I feel like it was it was about middle midway through the season again last year it was it was two years ago that we had like a week four bye or something yeah, like that it was week eight just, last year yeah yeah and the week I think I think it was 2016 where it was a week four bye and it was just awful because you know you you like having that that bye week in the middle of the season but they really i think are going to need that because because again right out of that bye week you've got that tough five game stretch and so um you know it it, if it were a week or two later in the middle of that tough stretch i'd be okay with that too but um no i think uh week seven is a good spot 
and um, again, hopefully get him get him charged up, get him healthy and ready to go um, out to out to L.A. for that game against the Rams in Week Eight. Yeah, those extremely tough the tough back to back games there after the yeah. the bye where you go to opposite ends of the country. You go to L.A. Uh, for week uh, was it week week eight, and then national TV the following week on Sunday Night Football at New England. Like you said, you're home for the home for the Dolphins, which in November should be interesting. Uh, Thursday yep. night you got to go on the road. Being a road team on Thursday nights that absolutely sucks, especially for the traveling that you guys have to do. You have to go, yep. you know, the majority of the country to get up to the the Northwest to get to. Seattle and then at Minnesota to cap off that five games, you know, and four out of those five games on the road is really what's yeah. what's the most uh, daunting part of that. And then the last five games, you're four out of five at or three out of five at home, home for Arizona, home for Atlanta, at Chicago, at the Jets, and then home for Detroit uh, to wrap it up. At least the NFL flipped it for you. You get to play Detroit yeah. at home, even though you're playing them for what, like the fourth year in a row or something like, cause I know we're playing in Minnesota week 17 for the third year in a row. Yeah. I think it's been three years in a row now that we've got Detroit um, in week 17, but like you said, at least it's at Lambeau, which will, uh, which will hopefully be, be a, be a help for us. But yeah, like I said, three tale of three seasons, you get those first six weeks going into the bye, you get that, that five game stretch, um, you know, brutal stretch. And then, you know, close it out with, with five games towards the end that, um, you know, you feel like the Packers should be, uh, right in every, every one of those games and have a, have a pretty good shot to win them. Yeah. And going and, into, hopefully going into postseason. Yeah. And that's a good way to, to, to look at it. The, 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 you got the three chunks in the season, there and there's interesting tests in all three of those yep. portions. In that first six weeks, you got the two division games right off the bat. You play everybody in division in the first five weeks. You got Green Chicago week one, Minnesota week two, and then uh, Detroit week five. And then what kind of team is San Francisco going to be? Are they going to be the the upward trajectory that they were looking like the last five weeks of of last season? Then those those you know these are Super Bowl contending teams the Rams and the Patriots right off the bat after the bye you got Seattle like you said always tough to win in Seattle and uh, at Minnesota you know that's another division game and always a tough opponent and in that last stretch Atlanta's going to be tough what kind of team yep. is Arizona going to be where the Bears going to be at in Chicago uh, just before Christmas there you know will the Jets be a worthwhile battle and then finishing it with a division game is always tough. Uh, against the uh, the Lions, so I mean, questions to be made and asked in each section of the uh, the schedule. But like I said, there are pieces in every single one where it's like, well, if we can hit this one, this one, and this one, we should be okay. And yep. you know, if if it doesn't happen, then it's definitely going to go uh, sideways uh, on you in 2018 as well. So going into the in the season, what's where's everybody at? Is is it optimism because Rogers is coming back? You guys have made a few moves you don't usually make. Or is it, uh, you know, are you, are you wondering? Because Aaron Rodgers is in his mid-30s now, and unfortunately the fountain of youth doesn't last forever. <laughs> yeah, I think as far as Rodgers goes, um, you know, there's there's no worry about him. Like right. I mentioned earlier, the, the chip on his shoulder that, that we feel like he's going to have, um, you know, com- coming off the injury, um, you know, feeling like he's got something to prove. Um, I, I definitely think that that he's going to be back to form. The question is more going to be around again the depth of his receiving core. He's got a lot of those those draft picks, those young guys. Jordy Nelson's gone. 
Um, and it's going to be, again, how are they going to use Jimmy Graham? Are they going to be able to figure out a way to make him a, a true weapon between the 20s again, where, which is something he hasn't been in several years? So I think that's the biggest question. I think they'll be able to run the ball well. Um, I think Rodgers will, you know, will still be, be slinging it around, but you know, what kind of weapons is he going to have? And then the big question marks, again, they're on defense. Um, can this team generate enough pass rush with a really strong interior line but maybe you know not necessarily the the edge pressure that you expect to see out of a three four team, you know is is this group of young corners going to hold up? Um, I mean, hell, a guy like Haha Clinton Dix, you know, who had a terrible year last year um, after making the Pro Bowl two years ago, can he bounce back in a in a little bit of a different role? I mean, it's it all kind of comes down to you know what is Petten going to do with his defense? I think that more than anything. Um, is going to determine how far this, the Packers go. I mean, I mean, the, the, we've seen what the Packers do with a healthy Rodgers. Their their floor is basically ten and six, even with a, a mediocre defense. If Petten can turn this team into a top ten defense, I think that's more than enough to to put the Packers squarely in Super Bowl contention. Unfortunately, I think I would have to agree with you. Um, just, <laughs> I mean, like I said, just bringing Aaron Rodgers back, you go from seven to nine, ten to six, just like you said. He's good for three wins as a healthy guy, pretty much just automatically. I mean, you were seven and nine, um, basically without him, and you know he can earn you three wins. I think easy, uh, just being uh, healthy and such. And the the whole thing about the the being the MVP after the collarbone thing, I actually read that in my magazine. David Bakhtiari was the one that brought that up, which was he was kind of like, I'm just saying that the last time he had this injury, the following year, he was the best quarterback in football, uh, you know, and won the MVP. So I'm actually kind of excited about this year because he's coming off the collarbone injury. So, uh, you know, a a weird silver lining way to look at something like that happening uh, to your quarterback, but it's it's something that's that's floating around in in Green Bay. And if Bakhtiari's talking about it, he's not the only one thinking it. Yeah, I think uh, this this would be a perfect year to to find a way to get number three because, again, each of the last two um, have ended in in heartbreak in the playoffs. You know when he's won the MVPs before it was first one was 2011 when they went 15 and one um, mm-hmm. lost to the Giants in the divisional round and I, I'd really rather not relive the collapse against Seattle in 2014. So hopefully yeah. uh, hopefully a little end with a win in the in the postseason this year. Seattle's such a weird place for you guys, you know. It's like, funny because I, I looked it up the other day, and the home team has won the last I think seven or eight games in that rivalry. Hmm. And so, uh, the last three games have all been in Green Bay, just the way the schedules have fallen, and, and the Packers have won all three of those. So, um, yeah, it'd be really nice to break that streak a little bit when they go out to Seattle uh, on that Thursday night, middle of the season. Because I was watching that Monday night game, and you know which one I'm talking about, and. Uh. Um, I was like, I'm sitting there and it's like, dude, I am the last person in the world that is going to come to Green Bay's aid, but they got screwed last night. There's no way. And then the cherry on top was that they reviewed it and still went against you. It's like, I couldn't believe that. I thought that was unbelievable. Um, You know, and that was the death knell for those replacement refs. That was the year that that was happening. And that was it for them. They were done after that Monday night game. They, the NFL caved and gave the refs what they wanted to get the real guys on the field because they couldn't have another Monday night mess like that again. I was just going to say that uh, that shows you why those guys didn't get the uh, the main ref positions and they had to be used as scabs because, 
yeah, they, they had no idea what the hell they were looking at in that game. Well, I mean, just look at that play alone. There were two guys right there on top of the ball. <sighs> one signals a touchdown. The other one starts waving his hands to stop the clock. Dude, there's no time left on the clock. What are you <laughs> waving your arms for? It just kind of speaks yep. to what we were working with in the NFL at that time with those referees. One guy is confident in throwing his arms up, and the other one is like, I, I don't know, stop the clock, I guess. I don't know. And it's just kind of, yeah. you know, really kind of, you know, just encapsulates everything that we were dealing with uh, with those replacement refs at the time. It was pretty amazing. And then, I, I said, like I said, sitting there watching it, I could not believe that that happened. And that, number one, that they made the call as a touchdown and then reviewed it and still gave it to Seattle for the win. I could not wrap my head around it. Um, yep. Very similar uh, last year, the whole Zach Miller uh, touchdown yeah. thing. They call it a touchdown yep. on the field, and they look at it. There is zero evidence showing that he dropped the ball or that it touched the ground or that it was moving, and somehow they reverse it. And then that guy – did you ever see the NFL's explanation on video about how they justified that call? I don't think so. I think I missed that. Okay, because I've seen a few of those videos and usually they're not very long videos maybe a couple of minutes at the most but the guy doing the talking usually did you know ran through the play a few times maybe had some different angles for you to look at that bears play for zach miller they ran through it one time they showed the play one time he kind of showed a shadow of a shadow of something that kind of sort of might have been a football that he was declaring was the ball. This is moving. Zach Miller didn't catch the ball. No touchdown. They were out of there inside of 45 seconds. That's how you, you know. know that they know that yeah, they screwed up. They knew they screwed up. <laughs> and then, of course, they, they changed the catch rules again and declare yep. immediately that it would have been a touchdown if the current catch rules were were in existence it was a catch anyway i don't know what the hell you guys are talking about but yeah. you know it's not gonna put zach miller's leg back together because <laughs> he ripped it to pieces uh, on that play it was pretty brutal yeah. uh and that, I, I will say that was a pretty classy move that the bears had of, of signing him to a contract for yeah. this year to to let him um you know to get him the injury benefits and everything that goes along with that yeah, so I, I thought hats, that was hats off to awesome. the, the bears organization for for a classy move there yeah that was pretty cool so all right, Evan, we got you first, so we'll be talking again real soon uh, as opposed to, to other times we've had to wait a while. But, uh, you know, right off yep. the bat, it's going to be an odd conversation that we have the next time because we're, we're coming off the preseason where you think you might know, but you don't really know until the real games yep. actually start. And then the lovely thing about week one is that that usually doesn't tell you much either. You know, because yep. some teams have been prepping for the, like the Bears have been prepping for the Packers since the schedule came out in April. So we might be able, we've got six months to put the perfect uh, game plan together. But then, you know, week two against uh, Seattle on Monday night, going to be a disaster because we only had six days to get ready for those guys. So, I mean, um, it's, it's going to yep. be odd to talk about. I'm sure that the conversation we have for week 15 you know, going into the the last three games of the season will be far more conclusive uh, than the one we'll have uh, a few weeks from now, actually. Looking so, forward to it. Uh, you know, it's going to be great, man. Like I said, I'm really excited to see what's going to go down in the division this year. I have all the confidence in the world that we'll be in the conversation, we as in the, the NFC North, that, you know, we are the best division uh, in football uh, this year. I, I, I have no doubt that that's going to happen in one shape or another. 
uh, this year because I can't really think of one. Maybe the NFC South that that was a three team, you know, playoff team uh, a year ago. But uh, we'll see right. if they can pull that off again this year because I think it's going to be the North this time around. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you that I think that we can get both playoff spots in the wild card this year. All right, Evan. So I appreciate it, man. We'll uh, we'll actually talk to you real soon, man. Those the days are getting closer uh, all the time. I think I saw yesterday. It's only like thirty one days until the Hall of Fame game, so that'll be here uh, before you yeah. know it. And then uh, week <laughs> one is right around the corner from there. So uh, we will be talking to you again real soon. Looking forward to it. We'll uh, we'll do it again soon. <laughs> As always, go pack go. No, go, Paco. You always got to toss that in there. Evan Western, <laughs> Acme Packing Company, helping us preview the 2018 Green Bay Packers. Always enjoy having Evan on the show. Looking forward to having him back week one it's going to be like i said be a very interesting conversation that we have because we still won't have a whole lot of questions answered maybe we'll have a few guys that stand out during the preseason or a draft pick that looked good against third stringers that aren't in the nfl anymore and and things like that but uh you know we'll just be a little bit closer to that game taking place and being able to answer some of the questions that we're looking forward to or are we more excited or less excited about the season after we've seen the four or five weeks of, of preseason uh, that the, that our teams were, uh, be, have gone through by the time we talk again. So it will be an interesting. Those week one discussions are usually the toughest ones to have as far as, uh, well, the preseason is over. What do we know now that we didn't know five weeks ago when we talked uh, kind of thing? So, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see what uh, what goes down the next time we have Evan back. But as I said in the interview as well, when we, we when we meet week 15, we'll definitely have a lot more to talk about at that point because we'll have a lot more questions answered. And, you know, will it be a pivotal, important game between the Bears and the Packers taking place at Soldier Field? Or will it be another run of the mill where the Bears are just trying to get a win late in the year over Green Bay and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So time will tell uh, on that one. So. Anyway, that's going to do it for our preview of the 2018 Green Bay Packers, part one of our NFC North preview. We will be back on Thursday night, hopefully Thursday night, at the very least, first thing on Friday. Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit, also from SB Nation, will be joining us to help us preview the Detroit Lions. And as you heard me talk about the last couple of shows, talking about how intriguing the NFC North is going to be, Lots to talk about with Jeremy there. Brand new head coach in town. They added LeGarrette Blunt. How excited is he about adding him uh, to the offensive fray? And, and, you know, what does he think that means for the running game and and all the rest of that stuff? Their top draft choice was an offensive lineman. I think their their top two picks were offensive linemen. Try to help uh, protect Matthew Stafford and, and help with the the running game and all the rest of that stuff. We'll talk about that and everything else in between uh, for the uh, Detroit Lions when we come back on Thursday. Friday at the latest uh, for part two of our NFC North preview. We wrap things up with Chris Gates next Monday. I've uh, got already got him nailed down. And then Lauren Cox will be back to help us preview the Bears for 2018 to wrap up our 14 opponent preview episodes as we head into training camp and the 2018 season. So, so much to get done and not a whole lot of time to do it, but I know you'll be here with me. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. Amen.